Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, where we inspire your faith and pioneer roots with old-fashioned wisdom and skill sets in a modern world. Today's episode is all about making your own homemade soap and specifically using all natural ingredients, including the colorants that you use for your soap. One of the things that I have found on my own journey within homesteading and living a more back to basics and natural life is not only does it come down to the foods that we eat, but also the things that we put on our bodies and that we use in our home. And what I find amazing when we look back at the pioneers is many of them, almost everything that they used in their homes and that they ate came from their own land including their own soap. So way, way back in the day, they would actually make their own lye water from the wood ashes, which could be a very dangerous practice, but they were able to do that. They had the the skill sets and the knowledge to do that. And then they would use the fat from either their cattle. If they raised cattle, then they would have the tallow, which is what beef fat is, is called tallow. Or if they raised pigs, then they would have the lard. And so they would mix those fats with the lye water to make soap, which is even how you still make soap today is you use lye water and then you use different oils and you can still use tallow or lard to make your soap. But most of the time we incorporate different oils to create a really luxurious bar of soap using different mixtures of oils. So for example, you've got olive oil, you can still use your lard and your tallow and you can also add in coconut oil, macadamia nut oil. There's lots and lots of different oils that you can use and mix depending upon what type of bar of soap that you want to have. Plus making your own soap makes you really feel feel like a true pioneer woman or guys for my pioneer guys out there. It's a really awesome skill set to have. Plus you really get to control the ingredients that you are then using on your skin, which is really important for me to make sure that they are nourishing ingredients and they're not filled with a lot of, with a lot of synthetic items and that it's actually beneficial to my skin. So today's episode is really special because I have an interview with Kelly who has literally written the book on making your own homemade soaps and using natural colorants. In fact, you will hear in today's interview, I actually used one of the natural colorants that she recommends that I didn't even know you could use to color soaps, and it turned out great. So in today's show notes, you can go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button, and this is episode number 113, and you'll get to see pictures of some homemade soap that I made using ground up stinging nettle leaf that we grow and harvested here on our own homestead and then I used to color the soap and it turned out a really cool color. I was really excited with the way that it turned out. Plus, Kelly has given us, and you can get her recipe for making a mocha coffee scrub soap. So you can get that recipe to make that. And then she also has for you a freebie. It is a quick natural colorant guide. So it's all the different ways that you can use natural colorants, usually herbs and spices that you already have floating around in your kitchen and the different ways that you can use those to color your homemade, to color your own homemade soaps plus a recipe because let me tell you, a mocha soap, this girl loves her coffee and her chocolate. So I love that that is in a soap and Kelly graciously, graciously shared that recipe with us. Plus, 
There's also going to be links and information to get the bonuses if you decide that you want to check out her new book, which I personally have a copy. Kelly sent me a copy before we did the interview and I fell in love and I then I had to email her and I'm like, okay, I need to interview you. You got to be on the podcast. There's so much cool stuff to learn. So you can check out her book to get a copy of that and there's a link for that plus all of the really cool bonuses that she talks about. You can find all of those in the show notes. Again, this is episode number 113 at com. Kelly, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I am really excited. And Kelly and I were talking a little bit before we started the interview and recording here. And I consider myself still a fairly novice cold process soap maker. So I've, I've done it a couple of times, but I'm not anywhere near the experience level that Kelly is. And I'm really excited because I want to pick her brain a little bit. So you guys get to get in on the fun there. But for people who are just maybe coming into soap making or haven't even really dabbled in it yet doing it at home, I wanted to go over a few things with them and kind of maybe clarify up a few points. For books specifically, and the type of soap that you prefer making is cold process soap. So can you explain why your preference is for the cold process soap? Why you like that more than saying doing the hot process method? Sure. I think one of the reasons is because that's what I started with. And I think when you get familiar with one particular thing, it can easily become your favorite because you just know all about it. I've tried other methods, but something about the cold process method, I feel that the soap, the texture is very smooth and just being able to combine those oils and lye water, put your creation together and pour it and just wait and see how it comes together is really exciting as well. And I think it's very interesting because I have some one of my really, really good friends, actually, her and her best friend since elementary school, which I love that they're still friends, they've been making soap together for their families for 16 years plus. And that's who I learned how to make cold process soap for as well. But it's really interesting because they prefer the cold process method too, just like you. They've done some hot process method, but they prefer the cold process. So I think it's really interesting to talk to different soap makers. And I would, I mean, of course, not all of them, but a lot of soap makers do tend to prefer the cold process, which I want to give a little bit of clarification for those listening in. We're mentioning cold process and hot process. So hot process soap is where it goes through the full saponification and the gelling process all at one time. And usually it's done in a slow cooker. And then when you make it, it doesn't have as long of a cure time. Whereas cold process still involves heat. So you're taking the lye water and you're taking your oils and you're putting them together, and then it goes through the saponification process and the curing process over four to six weeks. So when you hear people talking about curing soap, generally that's with the cold process soap. So just to give a little bit of clarification there on the two different methods that we're referencing, that's the difference between the cold process and the hot process. But it seems that a lot of dedicated soap makers where they make all of their own soap products really do like the cold process method. So I just found that very interesting and I wanted to see why, why you preferred it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I know some people that just love the hot process only. And, and again, I think it's what they started with and they can do amazing things with it. And for me, I've had more frustrations with it, I think. And maybe that's why I prefer a cold process, but it also gives a very different texture. It's more of a chunky soap and I like the very silky smooth um, 
texture that you can get with cold process. I think texture is a really big thing. But also just, uh, I, it's, it takes more, well, experience, I guess, in that area, um, which I don't have as much with. But it also, it's trickier to add different coloring layers and things like that. They don't look as pure to me. Where I like a lot more straight lines and you get a lot thinner soap that you can work with with cold process. With hot process, it tends to get thicker a lot faster and you're more limited in what you can do with it. I was doing some different research and stuff. I've not actually done the hot process. I've done cold process soap making and of course melt and pour as well. But when I was looking at it and it, because it goes through the gel phase while it's cooking with the hot process, to me, it looked like it would be a lot harder, like you're saying, to add the colorants in there. Whereas with the cold process, it, you, you're adding those colorants in when it's at the really thin trace and you've got that ability to work with it in a thin trace and then get it to more you know, medium and thicker trace with the cold process than it seems you do with the hot process. Yeah, I definitely agree. The cold process, it just, you feel like you have more time um, and those crisp, uh, brighter colors and just all of that can, that can happen, that you can make it um, look how you would like it to look. Uh, it's just my preference. So yeah, everybody has their different preferences and cold process is definitely mine. Speaking of preferences and all of that type of thing, what actually got you into making your own cold process soap. And one of the things that I loved, Kelly sent me a copy of her book. And so I've been able to dive into it, which has been super fun. But one of the things that I really like about your book, Kelly, is because what, for me, making soap at home and homemade, of course, is you have control over the ingredients. And I'm really big on natural and not using, you know, synthetic things and, you know, process synthesized um, fragrances and different ingredients like that, that I feel in a lot of our commercial products are added for different reasons, but don't necessarily benefit our body. And sometimes I feel they can be harmful. So whenever you make it at home, you get to control the ingredients and you get to pick what you're putting in there, which is a really big factor for me. And a lot of the times too, you can make it at home cheaper than you can purchase the same item you know, from the store because you're doing the labor essentially because we're paying for labor costs when we purchase it. So I love all of that. But what I really liked about your book, Kelly, is it went into only using natural scents and natural colorants. And natural as in all from, you know, plant matter, basically, for all of your colorants or from food stuff. I thought that was super fun that you included items that we would just have up in our cupboard that we're actually cooking with that we could use mm -hmm. to color the soaps. Because not all soap maker books or soap recipes for you to make your soap at home include those. Some of them can include different things, you know, different colorants and of course, you know, fragrance oils that aren't natural that are synthesized. So I loved that you came at it from that aspect in there. And so I would love to hear a little bit about how you got into, you know, what drove you to make your own soap and especially using all of the natural things and kind of how you feel that those are much more beneficial than some of the other counterparts out there. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, my blog, Simple Life Mom, um, is very much my goal is to simplify the ingredients we see within the products that we buy for food um, or whatever it may be for the, for the body, anything internal, whatever it may be, to look at exactly what we are doing. And in, when I use the word simplify, meaning going back to what we call real food. What is this? And is it from its original, is, is it in its original form or has it been processed to such a degree that 
it looks and seems nothing like what it started with. I mean, can you get that within your kitchen or do you have to have a lab to get this ingredient? And so that was one of my major goals is to start looking at everything within our lives and simplifying things down to where I know what it is and I can do it myself. So everything from food, food was my first thing that we started with. We had different food allergies crop up with my kids when they were, when they were younger. I've always had different skin issues. And um, so I just decided, you know, we're going to start from scratch on this and just really dig in and try to um, replace everything, you know, from ketchup, um, your mustard in your fridge to just whatever. And so from food, I started thinking, okay, now what's the next step? It has to be soap, shampoos, lotions, things like that. I haven't thought about making my own soap yet. And uh, I actually met this one lady who's my friend now and she has her own soap company and she sells locally. And so her soaps are just magnificent. And I actually got one bar for my niece who had a lot of bad eczema issues and it just completely cured her. And she had been suffering for years with open wounds and everything just from this bad eczema. And so to see that transition, that change in her, really just blew me away. And I'm like, okay, I really need to look into this seriously and very quickly. I'm looking into that, finding out that things like store-bought soaps have the glycerin removed from them. And that glycerin is used in other products to add moisture back to the skin, like in lotions and, and different things like that. But our soaps, with all the glycerin still within them, like homemade soaps are, those soaps nourish your skin instead of drying them out. So a lot of people that switch to the soaps that I make come back and tell me, you know, I can't believe how this soap doesn't dry my skin out. And I used to wash my hands and my hands would get dry, especially in the winter, and now they don't. And I would say, okay, well, one of those big, big reasons is because of the glycerin that still remains. So just not just that, but so many different reasons, the ingredients of moving to natural soaps that have the glycerin, but also have different herbs, essential oils, and things that do survive the saponification process can really nourish your skin. It just, it just became very important that this is something I need to try. I really investigated, and at the time, there was not a lot out there for teaching of how to get started, and I really piecemealed just things from everywhere and just dove in, and I've had a lot of time to kind of adjust my what I like to do and how to do it, and hundreds and hundreds of batches later, later um, it's just something I really love to do, and it's very important for my family. I make sure that all my extended family, that everybody has so what you're seeing about ingredients, I mean, man, it's so, it's just so important. I had, and something I think that some people don't really think through all the way, even soap makers, because I was teaching a class a couple years ago. We had talked about the different oils and their benefits, the different vitamins and the minerals that are maintained within the soap. When you use, you know, things like apricot kernel oil, even your olive oil, and just the good nourishing fats that can still, that you, when you super fat, when you leave a certain amount of the good nourishing oils within the soap after the saponification process, you're not only cleansing your skin, but you're moisturizing. And we, in this class, we talked about all these different things. And it wasn't until later that one of the students came up to me and she was showing me her beautiful creations. Some of them had essential oils and natural, well, she used herbs at, for exfoliation purposes, but then she had, she showed me these other things and she was so proud of them and they were neon colors and um, interesting scents. And so 
I asked her, I said, okay, this is great. Um, how did you get the coloring for this? And she's like, oh, I just bought a color bar online and I added that. And I said, okay. I said, do you know what it was made of? She's like, oh, I didn't even think of that. And so that's what I, I say in my book. And I, I say like very often, I think, is that why go to all the effort of making soap? Because it's a process to make it. And you, you're working hard. You make this beautiful creation and then ruin it by adding some kind of chemical or something that even questionable things that we're not quite sure of, I avoid even those, um, but adding something to it. And to me, ruining all that hard work that you did. So staying on completely natural ingredients only is very, very important to me. One of the things that I really liked about the different natural colorants that you were using is a lot of these are, it's not an added expense because if you're just beginning into soap making and you don't have any supplies yet, because you do need supplies, obviously you're going to have to buy, you can make your own molds, so you don't have to have molds, but a lot of times if you get into making it a lot, you're going to want to get some molds, but you, of course you have to have your oils, which some of the oils and fats you're already going to have in your kitchen. Like Kelly said, you know, we've got olive oil is a big one. Coconut oil can be used and then you can add different butters in like the and fats you can do beef tallow you can do lard I mean are the different fats and choosing those is really great because different fats and different oils have different purposes to like you said the profile in them actually for our skin but actually how they react in the soap as well as you know some will create a more um, a harder bar some will create more of a lather I mean there's so that's really fun because mm -hmm. you get to kind of customize those bars and the ingredients to what you want and of course, you do have to have the purchase of lye. And a lot of times people get really nervous about lye, which you do have to be very cautious with lye when you're using it in your soap making. You don't want, when you're making your lye water, you know, you don't want anybody in the house. You don't want to breathe the fumes. And I, you really went over that really well in the book on the safety issues, which is great. But you cannot have soap without lye. And so, but the good thing is, is after it goes through the saponification process, then the lye is no longer active because all soap that you use has lye in it. And there's sometimes a little bit of a misconception about that. So I kind of wanted to clarify when it comes to making your soap. But if you start, if you want to add the colorants and a lot of the scents, then those are added expenses above and beyond buying the lye and, of course, the different oils and the butters, which I already have most of the oils and butters in my house because I use them to make other homemade natural products, you know, like body butters and lip balms and all that kind of stuff. But when you start looking at all of the different colors that you can add, it can add up really fast because I'm more of a beginner soap maker and I'm still building up my supplies of things to have on hand. And I started looking at all of the colorants and I'm like, oh my goodness, like you want to add all these because they look so pretty and they look so cool, but it can get really expensive really fast. And so I love because you use cinnamon, you use cocoa powder, and I'm really excited about trying nettle so stinging nettle leaves grow proficiently where i live and i harvest and dehydrate them to use in our in my food products and to make teas out of i use them in my natural medicine cabinet medicinally and then we just eat them like you would spinach in the spring when the leaves are still really young and tender so I've got an entire mason jar of dehydrated stinging nettle leaves sitting in my cupboard. And so I'm really excited to grind those up and to use those to create a green colorant in the soap. For me, I'm like, oh my goodness, now I don't have to worry about going and purchasing some type of green colorant and it's totally natural and I've, I have the ability to grow it myself and then to use it in the soaps, which I think is really cool. 
Yeah, definitely being able to use stuff that's around you is really great. We have a lot of jewel weed around here. Um, and so that's one thing that I love to do is make jewel weed. So because jewel weed um, is so great at dissolving the poison ivy oils and poison oak. And I infuse the water, I infuse the oil, I put, I just like fill the soap with jewel weed. It's great because it's like you said, it's just, it grows around me. But even if those people who don't know how to identify plants around them, like you said, they can use paprika. You can use pureed pumpkin. You can use a number of different things that are in your cupboard. And speaking of the different fats, when I first started out, I'm thinking, how am I going to get tallow? At the time, I didn't have any kind of animals that I was raising like that. So you can actually go to your grocery store. If you have one um, that you buy regular, uh, if you buy beef from that you know is grass-fed, good fat, um, you can definitely ask them. Um, if you buy beef, um, like a quarter of a cow or something like that, you can definitely talk to your guy there and say, look, I need fat. I, the first time I asked the guy that we get our beef from, he's like, you want a lot of fat? Okay. And he was really confused. So I had to tell him, like, I'm making soap. Your source is important, of course, but there, there are definitely um, resources out there to make things, but a lot of times they'll give it to you for pennies, if not for free. So yeah, definitely. That's an option for you. Yeah, and for because we actually raise our own beef cattle and our own grass-fed pork, and of course we're raising it for ourselves, so we use organic and, and grass-fed properties, which is really important to me for the quality of the meat and then the omega three that it has. Um, instead of a lot of commercial raised animals have higher levels of omega six when they're more done on a grain-fed diet and not grass-fed. But anyway, that mm -hmm. could be a whole entire another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> But my um, point that I'm making is, is if you, even if you don't say a lot of times people's grocery stores, for example, we've got, I'm really rural and we've got several different grocery stores and not all of them actually carry grass fed organic beef. So what you can do is you can go to, and if you're not purchasing it, say from a farmer, uh, or if you are, and they're using a butcher, when you do your cut and wrap order, so you'll call the butcher and say, you know, I want so many pounds of hamburger per package and I want this cut of steak etc etc just you just tell them I just like Kelly said you say I want the the tallow which is the fat from beef or the lard which is the fat from pork and you say I want all of that saved because if you don't specifically say I want that then you don't get that they will you know either oh, yeah, they'll toss it. but if you specifically ask them they will save it for you and it'll all be separated out in a big bag and so then you just have to render it down they don't actually leave it on the cuts of meat but if you're not purchasing them and there's a butcher in your area, call the butcher shop and they, generally speaking, like Kelly said, I have gotten extra lard if I didn't have enough lard. And I specifically said, can you have it come from a, you know, a customer that, you know, uses organic practices that doesn't want their fat, obviously, because not everybody uses it. But if you call your butcher, you can also try your local grocery store, but if they don't happen to carry organic grass-fed products like some of ours around here don't, then the butcher is a really, really great place to go and get lard and tallow from for extremely cheap, just like Kelly said. For today's episode, I'm really excited. Kelly has created a freebie for you guys, so you can grab that in the show notes. And so Kelly, tell us what is in the freebie. And I'm super excited about this because I plan on printing it out and using it myself. <laughs> well, in that um, document that I made up for y'all, it has, it talks about different ways that you can add color to your soap and how you can use herbs. Obviously we use them for coloring, like we mentioned, but some people want to use them just for exfoliating purposes. And so either way, however you want to use them, or if you're just thinking, Hey, I just want this in for medicinal reasons, there's different ways that you can 
add them. And so that's what I talk about just briefly in that quick reference sheet. And it also gives you like a little bit of detail of how to make an, a hot oil infusion or a cold oil infusion. I obviously am going to go into more detail within the book of different you know, exact measurements. I have a chart in there that talks about how much of the herb to use with, uh, within the soap. If you're making a pound of soap, how many teaspoons of this to use for that or whatever. But like I said, there's, there's a lot of different ways or the main different ways that you can use for adding coloring. Um, you can add it to your lye water. So some of the colors, some of the herbs just really come out within the water. And then others, I like to add at trace. So right when your soap is getting ready to pour, there's some things that you can add, like activated charcoal powder, the cocoa powder, different things like that, that um, you can add either to make the whole batch the same color or to add swirls or layers. Let's see, then the other one would be to add to your oils. Like I said, the hot oil infusion or cold oil, oil infusion just involves adding, putting hot oil or cold oil, however you want to do it, on these herbs and letting them sit until they really infuse that oil. And you will be shocked at how many make these bright, beautiful colors within the oil that you simply replace some of the oil in your soap with. For example, if your recipe calls for eight ounces of olive oil, well, you may use, replace two ounces of that olive oil with a color that you have. So if I used olive oil to infuse annatto seeds, so I may have this bright yellow, beautiful annatto oil now, that's olive oil that's been infused. So I would take those two ounces and add that to my batch so that it would create a nice yellow color. Now, the more I would add of that, the more orange um, and bright it would be. So how much you add is going to change the color of your soap. Awesome. Now, and a couple of things too. So there's two ways that you can add herbal properties to your soap, like Kelly's referencing. And so one of those ways, sometimes you're just adding the herb or the plant matter for the color. And sometimes you're choosing it for both the color and the medicinal purposes. And sometimes you may be choosing it just for the medicinal purposes. So you can either infuse the oil, like Kelly's mentioning, you can infuse the oil with that herb, or she talks about a water infusion, or you can also take the herb, and this is where you would not be infusing it into the oil, or you may decide to do that too. And then you can actually chop up or grind up the plant matter, depending upon what it is. And then you're going to be putting that in the soap. So you actually see within the soap pieces of the herb, be it parts of the flower or the leaf. And then it also can act as an exfoliant as well. So those are typically the main ways that you add herbs to soap. So I kind of just wanted to clarify there for a minute. And then getting back to the trace. So if you're like baby brand new to soap making, you're like, what is trace? So trace is when you've mixed the lye water with the oils and it's just starting to become thick. And when you can take, it's kind of like when you are like, for example, you think about pudding. So a thicker trace is when it starts to thicken up and you actually can take the spoon or your mixing device, usually it's an immersion blender, and you'll drip some of the soap on the top surface of the soap. And if you can see a little line where you have dripped it, then that's where it's starting to hit trace. So when you're adding colorant, Kelly, is it generally speaking, do you add the colorant more at a really, really thin trace? Like how important is it at what part of the trace you're at when you're adding the colorant to make sure that the soap turns out and you can get it incorporated and all of that? Well, I think it depends on what you want to do after you add the color. If you're just going to add it to the whole soap, just say you want to make 
a um, black or a dark gray soap with activated charcoal, one of my favorites, activated charcoal and tea tree. And so what you would do then, it, you would add it to then medium or even thick trace. You don't want to wait too long because once you put, what I like to do with trace is I still want to take out a scoop of the soap and put it in a little separate bowl and whisk, just say the activated charcoal, whisk mm -hmm. it into that because then I can add it back and I know there won't be any lumps because sometimes there'll be little speckles of color in there if you don't remove it first, make sure it's really, I mean, just it's the same thing if you're making gravy, right? You're gonna have really lumpy gravy if you just put the, the flour right into the your gravy. You wanna take a little bit out, mix it in really well and then pour it back in. Same thing with soap. So adding to adding color depends on if you're if you're just going to add it to the whole batch, then it's not that big of a deal. You just still want to have enough time to be able to make the texture that you want. If you want to be able to pour your soap and it is completely smooth on top, you want to be able to get that color in and be able to pour it while it's still at a thinner trace. But if you like the more of a cake uh, batter icing kind of mixture on top and make kind of like a, a, a frosting look to the top, then you'll want to pour it when it's thicker. And otherwise, if you're wanting to make swirls, it depends on if you want those swirls to be more on top. For example, you want to be able to look on top and see different stripes. That's very different from whether I want to add, for example, I just made what I called a cinnamon roll soap, where I mixed a little bit of cinnamon into a separate container of soap, and then I poured the rest of it. And so what I did with that cinnamon colored soap, it's still a very thin trace. I pour it back and forth over the soap, and then I use either a chopstick or spatula and do just a little bit of swirling back and forth. And what that did, because it was so thin, it actually sunk down into the soap instead of being a really clear color on top. So the thinner the trace, it's going to give you different techniques, different, uh, different results to the end product. Either it's the, the thinner it is, the color's gonna sink down. The thicker it is, it's going to be more on top. And then if you add it to the whole thing, it depends on whether you want it smooth or you want a frosted look to the top. So there's a lot of details, like as we've been saying, it's, there's more of step-by-step -step in my book. Also, it's just, just knowing um, and just playing around, I think that's the biggest thing. If you're new to all this, just go for it. And however it turns out, whether it sinks down in or you're doing the full color or you want more of it on top of it, you're going to have something that you're going to be able to use and love. So I always tell people, don't let worrying about little details like that um, really stress you out and make you stop from even trying. Definitely go for it because you just, that's how you learn, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And there's, yeah, there's some things like, and it's, it's super great to get knowledge, especially when it is something like soap with the cold process method, you are using lye water that you, you know, definitely get some, you know, reference tools and educate yourself on how to be safe with it. But then sometimes you just have to dive in because the learning is in the doing. And so, and that's what I'm finding out with the cold process soap too, which I'm, I'm having a blast and I'm super excited. There's so many techniques that I want to try. I have to confess, it's kind of addicting. You're like, oh my goodness, like I want to try this next and then this one next. <laughs> it's really exciting. I'm geeking out about soap making right now. <laughs> and one of the things too that I've noticed a lot, so if you've not used um, homemade soap before and you're used to just using store-bought soap is... A lot of times, store-bought soap, after you, you know, get out of the shower or the bath or whatever, you kind of feel almost like a, a film, and it is drying, and you'll feel almost like a, a 
kind of like a film layer on top of your skin or it just feels super dry. And with the homemade soap, you don't notice that, or at least I don't. I notice a huge difference in the way that your skin feels. And I don't feel like I've got that, you know, like soap scum. People talk about soap scum. I don't feel like you've got the soap scum or that you've got that layer on your skin afterwards that you can feel. It just feels much more smooth and silky. Do you know if that's the comment that I hear the most from men who switch to natural soap is that they talk about how they feel squeaky clean. Because the women will talk about they love the smell of it and they love the feel of it. And you know, things that the men usually comment to say, I feel just like squeaky clean, but not dried out at the same time. And it is true. It's it's a totally different, I don't know how I I mean, I've looked into the different store-bought soaps and how they are processed and things that are removed from them and things that are added and things, but it's just kind of, I don't know, I still find it so crazy, interesting, <laughs> the, just the differences of just not, why not just make soap, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah me too. I, I think that's super interesting. And I did want to ask you on the trace points when you're adding the colorant. So if you want to have more of the dedicated swirl on top and not throughout the soap, then do you, when you remove the portion that you're putting the colorant in, obviously, to do the swirl part, do you just do the whole batch to a medium trace and then remove that? Or do you remove it at thin trace, pour the main batch of the soap, and then use the immersion blender on the colorant part to bring it to more of a medium trace before you do the swirl? Like, how do you personally handle that part? Um, I probably wait till it is not super, because super thin trace, you're using that spoon to drizzle over the top and there is nothing sitting on top of the soap. You have to kind of see it in the light <laughs> that there's a trail. And that is very, very light trace. And I don't do coloring when, I, when it's that early, but when it starts to leave a little bit of a trail on top that is not too thick, I think it gives you more time um, to go ahead and pour in. Because if you wait too long till it's a thick trace, the coloring is going to sit more on top of the batch and you want it to be into the soap to make a nice smooth top and not be like a bead over the top of the soap when you actually pour. Okay. So more of a medium trace is important. You'll see you have more room as long as it's not super thick and super thin, um, then everything will be fine. And I go ahead and pour it in and you don't want to use an immersion blender on the amount that you take out, because even if I make like nine pounds at a time or something like that, you don't remove more than like a cup or two. So if you try to use a immersion blender, it would like fly all over your face. <laughs> but just a whisk is good enough. And then, um, and actually a lot of times that that you removed can kind of harden faster. Not okay. harden, but it'll just start to thick fast, thicken faster. Yeah, you just, it depends. And if you, if you see like you just pour your lye water in and you just start to mix and then all of a sudden you can tell like, wow, this thing is thickening really fast. Then you need to move really quickly. Otherwise, if it's just normal and you, you know, you mix for a couple minutes and then you walk away, you come back, oh, it's starting to thicken now. Then you know, it's just at a steady rate of thickening and you'll have time and you go ahead and work. Okay, and have you noticed with, it, this is more like me wanting to know, but have you noticed with certain one of the natural colorants, because I know when using more um, synthetic colorants that some of them can accelerate trace, have you noticed with any of the natural colorants that any of those tend to accelerate the trace more than others, or do they kind of tend to all just be pretty much even? 
No, I don't think they do. I know that fragrance oils and the fake colorants are something in the chemicals that yeah. really do accelerate trace. And that is the only time I've actually heard of someone saying that their batch actually seized in a pot, meaning okay. it was too hard to even scoop. Oh. And that's only with the, with the fake ingredients. Um, everything natural, usually even if it gets thick, you can still scoop it out and put it in the mold. Um, so it's not too much of a worry. There are things, um, if you add honey, that see, even if you add honey to soap, you don't want to add more than a tablespoon or, or two, depending on how big your batch is. Um, and honey can accelerate it a little bit. But with your herbs, you're talking about natural colorants and things. No, I don't think that they accelerate it. You know, one thing I just thought of, um, when you are adding herbs, what you do want to make sure that you do is, especially if you are using um, a ground, not necessarily ground to a powder, but a slightly ground leaf or broken up leaf. For example, if you're using rosemary or you just want to add peppermint. And so um, maybe you grow your own peppermint, you dried it and you crumbled it. Um, however you're wanting to use it, you really should go ahead and make a tea of that beforehand because if you just add herbs, um, broken up leaves into your soap, a lot of times what you will have is that leaf will then soak up the different um, oils and things within the soap and then you'll have what's called a halo effect where it actually makes a brown spot in your soap. So okay. if you take crushed leaves with powders, it doesn't seem to be an issue whatsoever. So if you're grinding it down to a powder, don't worry about it. But if you're using crushed leaves, then you want to go ahead and make a tea out of it. Now, if you're wanting to add those crushed leaves for exfoliation, then you make your tea, go ahead and drain it and or drain the, the leaves and then use them. And then um, that's that. But then if you also want it for medicinal purposes, you don't want to just throw away that tea that you just made. Go ahead and use that tea in your lye water. And that makes sense because they're, it's dehydrated. It's dried leaves, and they're reconstituting in the oil if you haven't done yes. the tea beforehand. So you're just reconstituting them beforehand in the tea, and then that, that makes perfect sense. Thanks for sharing that. That's a great tip for people. Yeah, because the first time I made a peppermint soap, I was so excited, and it was great. And then after like a week or so, or even a month, I started seeing these spots and I'm thinking, what's wrong with my soap? And it's just that I had no idea that that would happen. So that's really important for people to know, just so you can make sure that you're, I mean, it's just, it, it's just looks. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the soap, but you know, people usually don't want brown spots in their soap. Right. We went through all this work and you do, you're, you're so proud of the bars of soap. Like it's, yes, you are. It's, yeah, you like are super excited. Like you just want to show like, aren't they so pretty? Like you want to show everybody. So yeah, there's, we do want them to look pretty too. As, but yes, functionality is more important, but I like things to function and look good as well. So I love those mm -hmm. tips. Now, so tell everybody, so your new book is releasing. So, and you've got some pretty fun things. So you can go to the show notes and we will have all of these links so that you can check Kelly's book out and get the goodies that she has. So Kelly, tell everybody about your wonderful book and all of the fun stuff that they can get in on. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so the book is called The Natural Soap Making Book for Beginners. Um, it's actually going to be delivered out to everybody August 8th. And so we're really excited about that. So in this pre-order period between now and August 8th, um, we decided to have a lot of different fun things going on. One of them is a soap making bonus collection. 
And what that is, is anybody who goes ahead and pre-orders the book gets to go to this bonus collection where I have some how-to videos. Um, we're going to have a different giveaway each week. One of them is from um, Herbal Academy. They're giving away a couple of different courses. Um, we're going to be giving away soap and different things like that. Yeah, the giveaways, the videos. I have some downloadables that people can use. Uh, just all kinds of fun things. So definitely have that going on, and that's continual. Okay, awesome. So we'll have links and every all the stuff that you need to be able to access the bonuses and get those bonuses and to check out Kelly's book. All of that will be in the show notes, so you guys can check that out. And yeah, I'm really excited. Like I said, I got a sneak peek at the book, and I am using my first time coloring with nettle leaf this coming week. So I will post pictures of that in because this is being pre-recorded at the time of recording I'll have already made that so within the show notes too if you want to check out and see what the nettle leaf looks like as a colorant I will be posting pictures of there as well so I'm I'm really excited I can't wait to try it out um, with the nettle leaf I'm like super I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad that you, that you love this because it's exciting and because I love it so much so to hear somebody else that's excited about trying something new like it's wonderful <laughs> So, um, yeah, and I did want to say, too, that within the book, there's, I mean, there's over 50 recipes, and this has been a long time working on all these different techniques and ideas, and there's, I mean, there's everything from basic recipes, but then there's a specialty section that talks about um, different, you know, how to make shampoo bars, or a camping um, bug-away bar, or just all kinds of things like that, pet shampoo, um, and then even there's a holiday section, so things to make for Christmas, Thanksgiving, and things like that, too. So a lot of recipes in there. Yay. Yeah. I'm super excited. So thank you so much for coming on. And then we also will be having up on the blog, Kelly is going to share one of her recipes with us too, along with that reference guide. So you'll be able to check all of that out and we'll have links for all of you. And so you can snag one of the recipes too. So Kelly, I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, all of your years of soap making, for putting that all into a book for us. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've always followed along and been a great fan. So it's very exciting for me to be able <laughs> to oh. talk to you and have this little interview. It's been great. Thank you. I'm super excited. I hope you are inspired as I am to start making all kinds of awesome creations on homemade soap. And don't forget, you can go and grab all of the stuff, all of those awesome bonuses and the recipes that Kelly was sharing at melissacanerest.com, episode number 113 on the podcast. So now we're going to move into our verse of the week. And we are in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. And we know, understand, recognize, are conscious of, by observation and by experience, and believe we adhere to and put faith in and rely on the love God cherishes for us. God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. In this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him, because as he is, so are we in this world. And I really recommend that you go on and read that entire chapter. But what really struck me is, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times 
Even though I have been saved and believe that Jesus died for my sins and is my savior from the time I was a really young child, a lot of times we still mess up, or at least I still mess up. And and I worry about judgment day. Now, I know we're not supposed to worry and we're not supposed to fear, but I do. I'm like, oh my goodness, like my heart's desire is to really to serve the Lord and to follow his word and to be his child. But I fall short so many, 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 many times. But God's love is so much bigger and is not contingent upon our actions, right? Because we are saved by faith and by grace. And then when we are his children, we do our best to follow his word. But I really love, and I just want to read this line again, that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him. And this is from the Amplified Translation of the Bible um, that I'm reading from. But that really struck me that we are saved. And because God loved us so much and because of Jesus's actions on the cross, that we can have confidence on the day of judgment and assurance and boldness to face him. Because oftentimes I think about the day of judgment and I'm like, oh, buddy. So I really took some time this week and I've actually gone back to that verse and the preceding verses, the whole chapter, quite a few times. And I would encourage you to spend just a little bit of time and thinking about that and how amazing God's love is for us. And I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the Pioneering Today podcast. I appreciate you spending your time with me and I can't wait to hear about your soap making adventures. I hope you have an awesome day.